Father, thank you for this day of rest and worship. Thank you for your goodness, your grace and mercy to us. Thank you, Lord, for your holy word. And we pray that as we open up your word this morning that you would draw near to us and you would bless us with wisdom and help and light and grace. And we commit this to you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Now this morning, I want to begin a study of the book of Proverbs. And I want to give you the big picture of the book this morning. I want to start by talking about the background. And it may take me a couple of weeks to introduce Proverbs. And with regard to this introduction, I have three main focal points. The background to the book, which is the life of Solomon, the king of Israel. Then the content and development of the book. And then thirdly, the lessons. And as you know, most of you, I got into this because while I was having devotions, I guess a couple of weeks ago now, Proverbs 23 just jumped out at me as I saw the transition between all the maxims or insights or observations that characterized Proverbs 10 to Proverbs 22. And then in the middle of chapter 22, he changes from observing to exhorting. And he continues to exhort. And he warns them about dangers that could ruin and destroy your life if you fall into these traps and pitfalls. So then I, I said, well, if I'm going to understand these exhortations, I have to take them in the context of all the maxims. And I went through the 375 verses and tried to figure out the arrangement and the organization of the 375 verses. So I went through all kinds of things to try to come up with that. It wasn't easy to do. I think I have a, I don't want to call it a theory. I don't even want to call it a hypothesis. I think that I have an idea. I have a possible explanation for the organization. And I may get to that this morning, and I may not. It may come next week. But what I want to start with is, if in Proverbs chapter 1, Proverbs chapter 1, to put the book in perspective, Proverbs chapter 1, this is what you read in verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, the king of Israel. So Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1, identifies the author, the source of the Proverbs. And the author and source of the Proverbs is Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. It also tells you the reason for this book. 
to know wisdom and instruction, to discern the words of understanding, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness and justice and equity, to give prudence to the simple, to the young man knowledge and discretion, that the wise may hear and increase in learning, and that the man of understanding may attain to sound counsels, to understand a proverb and a figure, the words of the wise and their dark sayings. And then beginning in verse 7, he starts with a, a summary of the book. Then in Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 1, You have this statement, the Proverbs of Solomon. And then you have all of these maxims, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, and then all the way down to 22, verse 16, and in 22, 17, he starts to give an exhortation. He begins to give imperative, incline your ear. Now listen to what I said. And it goes all the way through 23 and all the way through 24, verse 22. And then in 24, 23, you read, these also are sayings of the wise. And then later on, there's another little heading that speaks about these also, or Proverbs of Solomon that Hezekiah's men copied out. And then you have something from Agur and King Lemuel, the thing that his mother taught him in chapters 30 and 31. So you have all these different sections of the book. But the first section, the Proverbs of Solomon, directly, precisely, personally, explicitly, begins in 1-1 one, one and goes through 24-22. So that's the part of the book that I'm going to focus on. So the foundation of understanding that section of the book has to be the life of Solomon. Now, where is the life of Solomon recorded? This is the background. Well, you have two specific parts of Scripture that record in detail the life, experience, behavior of Solomon. And those passages are in 1 Kings, and there's 11 chapters of 1 Kings that record the story of Solomon's life. 1 Kings chapters 1 to 11. And then you have what could be called a parallel passage in 2 Chronicles chapter 1 to 9. So in order to get the background, you have to read and put together the biography of Solomon as primarily presented. There are other passages in Scripture that reflect on the life and behavior of Solomon. But specifically, explicitly, his inspired biography is recorded in 1 Kings 1 to 11 and 2 Chronicles 1 to 9. So 
It seems to me that if I was going to cover it, I would need to cover this morning basically 11 chapters of Scripture. And then, and to think that I can just do that as the first point is probably so unrealistic as to mean that Paul would also win round four. So, what does the Bible say about the life of Solomon? in these two sections of the book, and how does his biography reflect on what he writes in the book of Proverbs? So that's basically the first introductory issue, if you want to put it that way. You want to open up the book of Proverbs? How do you start? You start with what the Bible says about the background, about the biography of the person who wrote it and the context from which it comes. And so this first section of Proverbs, at the very least, comes from Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. And it includes some 375 maxims or insights or observations about reality and an exhortation to take these things to heart. And an introduction in which he presents the philosophy upon which the maxims and the exhortation rest. Okay, The introduction is 1 to 9, and then the maxims or insights are starting in chapter 10 through verse 20, chapter 22, and then the exhortation comes from 22.17 to the middle of 24. All right, there's the big picture. That's where I want to go in introducing it. So that's the first thing I want to do in the Sunday school class. I want to introduce it. The second thing that I want to do in the Sunday school class is I want to take to heart the lessons that he teaches in the book of Proverbs. And this is not going to take one week, two weeks, three weeks. If I do a lesson a week, it'll probably take almost half a year. Okay? And what are the lessons that he teaches in the book of Proverbs? Well, the way I see it is you have, first of all, a philosophical lesson. And that philosophical lesson is, is summarized in chapter 4. It's summarized in chapter 4. Summarized in four, where in four? Specifically, verses seven and eight. Wisdom is the principal thing. Get wisdom. Yes, with all you're getting, get understanding. Exalt her and she will promote you. She will bring you to honor when you embrace her. What's the principal thing? What's the philosophical lesson? The philosophical lesson is the value of wisdom. Life is full of contrasts, as you can see from many of the maxims that he lays out, the, the, the 375 that we have in chapters 10 through 22. It's full of contrasts. Everyone and everything isn't the same. And you should learn to tell the difference 
between behaviors and relationships that harm you and behaviors and relationships that help you. Values and choices matter. They make a huge impact on your success or failure, your happiness or misery in this life and in the world to come. All of life is intertwined. You can't and shouldn't try to compartmentalize religion, character, and the major issues, relations, and scenes of life. The principal means of a happy and successful life is wisdom. The principal means of a happy and successful life is not prosperity. The principal means of a happy and successful life is not popularity. The principal means of a happy and successful life is not power. The principal means of a happy and successful life is not pleasure. It's not about pleasure. It's not about power. It's not about popularity. It's not about prosperity. It's about wisdom. That's the principal means of a happy and successful life. Therefore, above everything else you get, get that. Now, that's the philosophical lesson that he teaches. And that philosophical lesson is really the foundation of all the maxims and observations and insights and exhortations that he builds on that lesson. Then, on that philosophical lesson, he builds many practical lessons. He doesn't present his maxims or his insights topically or thematically. If there is a topic or a theme, I can't find it. So my, quote, guess, not hypothesis, not theory, just guess as to how it's organized is that it's not organized topically. I've tried many ways to find a topical organization of his Proverbs. I can't find one. But that doesn't mean he doesn't teach lessons. So what you have to do is you have to go through his diary, let's call it, of Proverbs, and you have to go through it thematically. And you have to find the lessons that he's teaching his royal sons about wisdom. And when you do that, you find practical lessons about religion, practical lessons about character, and practical lessons about life. You have religious lessons, and character lessons, and life lessons in the book of Proverbs. So you have to go through those 375 Proverbs time after time after time after time to pick out religious lessons and character lessons and life lessons. And when you do, you're going to find out that religion and character and life are all intertwined. You can't 
compartmentalize your religion from your character from the way you live your life. That just jumps out of the connections. If you tried to logically organize those connections, it would look ludicrous. It would look like a total mangled mess of wires going back and forth all over the place. Never makes sense. It's all intertwined. So he has, and I, I see, and I, as we go through this, I, this may change. I've tried to go through the major topics, not all the topics, but the major topics or lessons that he teaches in these maxims that give rise to these exhortations built on this philosophical lesson of the preeminent value of wisdom over money, power, pleasure, popularity, so he has three practical lessons, at the very least, about religion. He teaches a lesson about theism and atheism. The fear of God on the one hand and atheism on the other hand. He teaches about the fear of God being the very beginning of wisdom. Then he has a lesson about morality and immorality, time after time after time after time. He contrasts doing right with doing wrong. And he gives us moral lessons about the difference between doing right and the difference between doing right and doing wrong. And the characteristics and earmarks of people that do right and people that do wrong. Over and over and over again, he teaches this moral lesson. And then there's a lesson about devotion a lesson about taking part in acts of religious worship. And he says all religious worship isn't the same. There's the religious worship of those that do right and the religious worship of those that do wrong. So he's got a lesson about theism and atheism, about right and wrong, and about devotion, about participating in rituals and acts of religious worship. So these are three practical lessons about religion. And if you go through these 375 maxims, you'll find many aspects of each one of these topics set forth. Many aspects of what he has to say about theism and atheism, about morality and immorality, and about devotion to God. Then I also see in here, with regard to character lessons, Seven, and it could be that there are more than seven, but I see seven that are featured, highlighted, underscored, repeatedly, over and over and over again. There is a character lesson about diligence and laziness. There's a character lesson about generosity and greed. There's a character lesson about honesty and dishonesty, about telling the truth and telling lies. A character lesson about moderation and profligacy or prodigality, indulgence. There's a character lesson about fidelity and infidelity, faithfulness and unreliability and disloyalty. There's a character lesson about humility and pride 
And there's a character lesson about graciousness and vindictiveness. The difference between gracious people and vindictive, angry people. The difference between humble people and arrogant people. Difference between greedy people and generous people. And there's, these are all character lessons. What, do you, what should you be, my sons, he says, in your character that's consistent with taking to heart biblical wisdom? What you should be in your character is diligent, generous, honest, moderate, faithful, humble, and gracious. And what you shouldn't be is lazy, greedy, dishonest, profligate, unfaithful, arrogant, and vindictive. So you can go through those 375 Proverbs and you could see time after time again, he contrasts these various aspects of your personal character. Right? So he's teaching character lessons. Then, and this is again, there are probably many, many more life lessons about many more things, and I may change the arrangement of this as we go through and I study it more and more. I reserve the right to change the outline that I have right now. Wouldn't be the first time I ever changed an outline. Probably won't be the last. But they're what I call life lessons. And if you go through these things, and you're going to find that the life lessons and the character lessons and the religious lessons, they're all intertwined. You can't compartmentalize your life and separate religion from character, from life choices and values and relationships. You can't rip them apart because they're all intertwined, connected, united. That's, that, that's underscored repeatedly, almost incomprehensibly. But it's underscored, the connection between these things. What are the life lessons? Well, you go through these things, you're going to find a lesson about people or about human nature. You're going to find out what people are like, a way of man is right in his own eyes, a faithful man who can find. That, what are people like? What, is, what did he observe to be human Nature. There's a life lesson to understand your presuppositions, your perception of what people are actually really like. That's an important thing for young men to know and young women to know. So I entitled this section Lessons for Young People. Lessons for Young People, life lessons that you need to know. Character lessons, religious lessons. These are for his sons. Lesson about wealth, about money and possessions. Better they eat vegetables with love than steak with hate. You've got to learn about money. You've got to learn about the value of it. You've got to learn about the limitations of it. Got to learn about that when you're young. You don't want to make your whole life about making money. It has value, but its value is limited. If you sacrifice your family for money, you made a big mistake and you behave foolishly. So, the second life lesson that he's going to teach you is a life lesson about money, about wealth, about 
keeping it in its proper place. There's also a lesson about companionship. And this is one of the fundamental pillars of wisdom, is to recognize that no person is an island and that the people that you hang out with influence your life. They influence your life. You hang out with, make friends with wicked people. You're going to live to regret it. If you join a gang, you're going to live to regret it. That's right out in Proverbs chapter 1, one of the three pillars of wisdom. The fear of God, listening to parental counsel, and staying away from the influence, friendship, association, and impact on your life of the wicked. Hanging out with them, being friends with them, being popular and accepted by them, being one of them. Don't do it. If you do, you'll live to regret it. So there's a lesson about companionship, about friendship, about neighbors, about partnerships. There's a lesson about human companionship, a lesson about wealth, a lesson about people, and yes, there's a lesson about women. He wants to teach his sons about women. Well, who knows about women? But he wants to teach his sons about women. And of course, what he teaches his sons about wisdom, it's also good for girls to know this. What he teaches about women. The kind of women that you want to associate with and the kind of women that you want nothing to do with. That you need to stay away from. So what does it say to his daughters? It means his daughters ought to be the kind of women that a godly man wants something to do with and not the kind of women that he's counseling godly men to stay away from. Then he has a lesson about marriage about spousal fidelity, spousal infidelity, about the proper relationship of a husband and a wife in marriage, and how important it is to your own happiness and success that you choose a spouse wisely, and that you be the kind of spouse that's conducive to success and happiness in life because your marriage will have a big impact upon your success and happiness. And he teaches a lesson about marriage that's good for every young person to know. Because when you make a choice to marry someone, you're making one of the most influential choices that you'll ever make that will have a huge impact upon your life, upon your success, and upon your own happiness. It's better to live in the corner of a roof than with a contentious or clamorous woman in a mansion. For example, and many other such things he does, like a uh, a ring of gold in the nose of a pig 
So is a beautiful woman lacks discretion. So you don't want to get married to a pig with gold ring in its nose. So that's disgusting. That's chauvinistic. Huh? You call it what you want. The point is, the value of feminine discretion, wisdom, godliness is far greater than the value of feminine beauty. And if you get that reversed and wrong, and all you're looking at is what she looks like on the outside, you're about to make a big mistake in your life. And why, how does that apply to daughters? Well, if all you're concerned about is how you look and not about your character, you're also making a big mistake. You value physical beauty more than a gracious character. Your values are all wrong. Your priorities are all wrong. And you're not on the way to success and happiness. You're on the way to failure and misery. That's the point of these Proverbs. Because he loves his young princely sons, his young princely or princessly daughters, and he wants them to be successful and happy. And so he's teaching them lessons about religion, lessons about character, lessons about life that are conducive to their success and happiness. So there's a lesson about people, about human nature. What are people like? Don't be naive, kids. Don't be naive. A lesson about money. Don't be deceived. Don't give yourself to just making money in life as though money's more important than your family. A lesson about companionship. Be very careful about the kind of people that you get involved in close relationships with because of the impact those people will have on you, on the way you talk, the way you think, and the way you act. Be very careful about the women that you associate with, gentlemen. Be very careful about the people you marry. Then there's a lesson about parenting, about molding children and spoiling children. Your success and happiness is bound up with the way you parent your kids. You spoil your kids, you're going to wind up miserable. The father of a fool has no joy. Foolish son is a grief of his mother. But if you mold your children's character with loving biblical discipline, You'll have joy from them and not misery. A child left to himself causes shame to his mother. And so on and so forth. He wants them to be happy and he gives them lessons about parenting that are conducive to their success and happiness. He understands that parents love their children. He understands that the, the joy and heart of a parent is bound up with a child. If your child suffers, you suffer. 
That's why parents say, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. Well, what are they saying? Well, if you're not a parent, you don't understand it. You can't possibly understand it because you never experienced it. You never held your own baby in your arms and felt that bond of unconditional love and commitment that your heart, your very life, is bound up with that baby. And nothing's going to change that. You love that child completely and unconditionally. That child suffers, you suffer. That child succeeds, you succeed. That child is happy, you're happy. There's a part of your heart that will forever be bound up with that child. And if you spoil that child because you love that child, the end result will not be happiness for you or success for you. The end result will be misery for you. There's a life lesson about parenting in the book of Proverbs. And that life lesson's repeated over and over and over again. Life lesson about marriage. Life lesson about women. Life lesson about parenting. Life lesson about people and wealth and companionship. And finally, and again, I reserve the right to change this outline. There's a life lesson about governing. Now, why do you think he gave his sons life lessons about governing? Because they're princes. And they're involved in various ways in the government with civil authority, civil leadership. So he teaches them about civil leadership that is tyrannical and oppressive and civil leadership that has integrity and marked by goodness. So he teaches them the difference between good and bad, oppressive and righteous governing. How do you govern with integrity and goodness as opposed to tyranny? And what difference does that make? Whether the kind of governor and leader and uh, ruler you are is one marked by goodness and integrity rather than by tyranny and corruption. What difference does that make? what well, has all the difference in the world between your happiness and success. If you're tyrannical and oppressive and evil, you're not going to be happy. You're going to be miserable. And the people that you lead are also going to be miserable. And if you're a righteous, just, and good leader, it's not only conducive to the stability of your leadership, but it's also conducive to the happiness and well-being of the people you lead. So he's got a lesson about governing, a lesson about parenting, a lesson about marrying or marriage, a lesson about women, a lesson about companionship, a lesson about wealth, and a lesson about people. So there's seven life lessons, seven character lessons. So, so we've got to go through the 375 verses 14 times. I don't know how long that's going to take, but it ain't going to be a week. So we go through 14 times. And we study the character lessons and the life lessons and at least three more times to study the religious lessons. And that's if the outline stays the same. So if the outline stays the same, we've got a minimum 17 weeks just going through the lessons about religion and life and character. Now, that's more realistic than taking 375 Proverbs one a week for the next, I don't know, seven years. So I think if we try to approach it topically 
and take life lessons, character lessons, and religious lessons, we could probably do it in six months. And it's not going to be exhaustive. It can't be exhaustive. So if I took one week on each lesson, that's where we wind up in with the introductions and the conclusions. It'd probably be about six months. So does that make sense? See what I mean about not being able to go through all this stuff in one week? So the first thing we look at, all right? The first thing we're going to look at is Solomon's life. So if you want, you want homework? Read 1 Kings 1 to 11 and 2 Chronicles 1 to 9. And we'll come back and look at those next week.